So it's been good. Did you read Doonesbury this morning? Some of you did, yeah. Well, it's about these uh, kind of baby boomers who feeling need to go back to church, and they're telling their kid they got to go back to church, and the kid's saying, oh, but church is boring, and, and why do I have to go? And they basically said, well, it was boring for us too, but we had to go, and like, like us, you'll learn to hate it. And, uh, but then when you get older, you'll feel guilty about it. And she goes, well, what happens if I find that I like it? And the mother says, well, we'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> I feel like when we have a, a morning like this, it's sort of a, a doonsbury in your face. You know, uh, this is, take your boring idea of church and do something with it. Anyways, <laughs> we're, we're talking about rolling away the stones, the rolling stones. Can't get no satisfaction, brown sugar and the like. But the stones that we're talking about are the stones that keep us entombed from walking in the resurrection power that the Lord has for us. And so we're talking about how resurrection power, the, the, the life that the Lord gives to everyone who believes and puts their trust in Him, how that uh, allows us to roll away different stones in our life that keep us entombed. We talked about the stone of shame last week. And this morning I want to talk about another stone, a very prominent stone, a very big stone for some of us, and that is the stone of fear. There's two passages I want to read. The first one is found in your bulletins. Uh, it's from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It basically says this. It's a verse that you really need to have memorized if you haven't memorized it yet. But Paul says, God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, or self-control, or it could be translated self-discipline. The basic concept is togetherness. God hasn't given to us, in giving us the Holy Spirit, which every believer, who, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has, you have the Holy Spirit, God hasn't given to us a spirit of fear, but of, a spirit rather that is of power, dunamis. We get the word dynamite from that, dunamis. Spirit of power and of love, agape, and of sound mind. The second passage I want to read, I'll, I'll spend a little bit of time explaining this verse shortly, but it's found in, in the book of Exodus, chapter 5. <clears throat> book of Exodus, chapter 5, and we'll start with verse 22. This is, what, this is an example of the kind of prayer that I just love in the Bible. Um, this is an honest prayer. It doesn't sound like a prayer, it doesn't look like a prayer, but it's a prayer because he's talking to God. But it's an honest prayer, because it doesn't sound very religious. Moses has just went and done everything the Lord told him to do, and it turned out an abysmal failure. And Moses is ticked off. So Moses returned to the Lord, it says in verse 22, and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people, this people being Israel? Is this why you sent me, he says to the Lord. Did you intend to bring trouble on these people? In other words, what Moses is doing here is he's suspecting God of really being on, on the Pharaoh's side and uh, um, setting him up. And then Moses says, For ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. It's a gutsy prayer. It's kind of a cute prayer. Let's pray as we start. Lord, we need, uh, to this morning, as we need all the time, 
you to be about the business of rolling stones away in our life. Lord, you have done so much to purchase an inheritance for us on the cross of Calvary. Your eternal glory and the riches of your inheritance and the power for dynamic living, Lord. You've purchased that for us on the cross and you've given it to us by the power of your spirit. You've resurrected us from the dead. You've already told us that in Ephesians 2. And yet, Lord, this morning, there are stones that keep us entombed. And one of those stones, Lord, is fear. Fear of failure. I believe, Lord, that there are some of us here this morning that wrestle with that. And I pray, God, that this morning uh, would be a time where, where your people are set free. March 20th, Lord, a date when some captives came out of prison, when some slaves came out of Egypt, Lord. And Lord, in Jesus' name, we do warfare against the enemy who is the source of all destructive fear. And, and Lord, uh, we ask that you would be a hedge of protection for us. And Lord God, would be the one to wage warfare for us, Lord God, to free us to be the confident, passionate people you've called us to be. And we say out loud that neither in this place, as an auditorium, nor in our minds, does the enemy have any right to be there. We claim this place in our minds, in our spirits, in all of us for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you about the story with Moses. <clears throat> Moses, as most of you maybe know, was um, uh, over with his uh, father-in-law Jethro, and, and he saw this burning bush up on a mountain. He went up to the burning bush, and the burning bush started talking to him. It kind of freaked him out. But uh, uh, before long, he found out that this was God talking to him through this burning bush. And God, through the burning bush, tells Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. The Israelites at this time are slaves in Egypt, and uh, they've been that way for 400 years, so the Lord says, it's time to let my people go. So Moses, you're supposed to go and do that for me. Moses is a little freaked out by this proposition. Pharaoh is uh, the uh, head of Egypt, the king of Egypt, is the mightiest person in the land, actually in the whole world at this time. And Moses is supposed to go and confront him and just tell him willy-nilly to let the people go because a burning bush says so. Moses suspects this won't cut much slack with the Pharaoh, so he begins to throw up objections. He says, uh, okay, Lord, uh, suppose I go. This is how he phrases it in, in uh, 3.8. Suppose I do go. Not that I have any intention on it, you know, mind you, but just for the sake of argument, suppose I go. Who am I going to say sent me? And the Lord says, Vehie, Vehie. Tell him that I am that I am sent you. That's the Hebrew, Vehie, Vehie. I am that I am, or I shall be what I shall be. No one knows what exactly the Lord was talking about there, and certainly Moses didn't know. So Moses wasn't that satisfied. So he inquires further. Well, what happens if they don't listen? And the Lord says, well, I promise you that the children of Israel, the leader of Israel, will listen, and Pharaoh will listen, and the people of Israel will go free. I promise you that. He says it in 3.17 and 3.18. Moses still isn't convinced. So he says in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, But what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? What if they say that this never happened? This is, Moses, you know, is uh, putting up a good fight here. And the Lord says, Well, I'll tell you what then. Uh, um, uh, take that rod on the ground. That rod will be your sign, and, and I will allow you to do miraculous signs in my name through my power with that rod. You throw it on the ground, it will turn into a serpent and all sorts of other fun stuff, and this will prove to Pharaoh and prove to my people that I have sent you. 
Well, Moses picks up the staff. He's pretty impressed with this. God has him do some other tricks like stick his hand in his coat and he pulls it out and it's leper and then he puts it back in and sticks, sticks, sticks it out and it's not leprous. And God's really trying to convince this guy. So then finally, Moses comes up with his biggest objection. He says this in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 10. He says, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent this means I have never been able to talk smooth. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. In this conversation we're having, what, what, what he's saying is, you may have noticed that I've been a little tongue-tied talking to you. Apparently Moses had a real stuttering problem. And so he says, look at Burning Bush 1. Um, I don't talk very smooth. I, I, I don't, 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 don't talk, talk very smooth. So don't go sitting me. He says this in 4.13. And Moses says, oh Lord, please send somebody else. Send anybody else. Don't send me. And you know this was a big objection because he raises it two more times. If you look at chapter 6, verse 10. No, it's not 6.10. It's 6.12. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, because already the Israelites didn't listen to him, why would Pharaoh listen to me, seeing that I speak with faltering lips? Or the Hebrew there means staggering lips. Probably means that he stuttered. Verse 32, or uh, verse 30, Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with stuttering lips or faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? This is big on Moses' mind. He doesn't talk right. He stutters. And this, in Moses' mind, is like a major disqualification for going to talk to the most mightiest person in the land and, and telling this most mighty person in the land to do something which he knows that this mighty person in the land isn't going to want to do. Namely, let these people go. And I can really relate to Pharaoh. I, maybe some of you, some others here have wrestled with this. Maybe you still have the problem. But when I was a kid, I had a terrible stuttering problem. Just a terrible stuttering problem. Um, from kindergarten on up to my senior year in high school, I, had, I, I was in therapy, speech therapy, to teach me how to talk slow. And, <laughs> it's true. And what you're seeing is the result of that. You should have seen me before. <laughs> but oh, it was a little new. Well, the problem was is that, that I just have one of these screwy brains that don't think in words. Most, most people think in words, and then from the words they get sentences, and the sentences they get paragraphs, and paragraphs they get, you know, the whole thing that they want to say. I start in the other direction, and I have the whole thing there, and then I have to try to break it down. So if I don't do that, what I, do, what I get is a log jam. It's like everything wants to come to my tongue at the one time, and the tongue kind of gets a case of paralysis, and what you get sounds like this. And that's how it was growing up, honestly. I could at times talk okay if I was really relaxed and stuff. But if, like, I was in a crowd and I had to say something or, you know, I wanted to interject, I'd go, or if the teacher called on me, it's brutal. Junior high especially is brutal because I knew the answers. I was not that dumb of a kid. But the teacher would call on me and I'd go, that's how, and, and, and kids would start to snicker. That makes you more little tongue-tied. You stand up and give a speech, you know. You know the stuff. You've prepared it. At home, I could read it in front of the mirror 14 times, and I have it all down. But I get up there, partly because I, this is eighth grade. Why do I always tell you the traumas of Greg Boyd's life? <laughs> you guys must think I come out of some psych ward, you know. They cart me in here, I preach, and they cart me back, you know. 
<laughs> and the people at the ward don't believe I'm a preacher. Hey, I preach, I really preach. Yeah, right, right. <clears throat> well, I stood up to give this speech, and, and my zipper was way down. And everyone's snickering. I look around, and finally I find out my zipper's down. So now, of course, when I go to read my, my little speech, it's... And the harder you try to get it out, the more frustrated you get, and the higher the pitch goes. Some of you maybe have had this problem. Maybe you still have this problem. And I don't in any way want to make fun of that problem. I, believe, I know how tough it is. But the harder you try, the higher the pitch goes and the sillier it sounds. Uh, especially on vowels. I just couldn't get vowels out. When words start with vowels, I still have trouble with that. Etymology. I can say it now. Etymology. But I, I used to go... And it just totally wipes out your credibility. I, I, you can't tell jokes when you stutter because you get to the punchline and you go, you know, and the punchline has to come fast and smooth. I still to this day can't tell a joke if my life depends on it. Because I get to the punchline and I start worrying that I'm going to stutter, which makes me stutter. So I get to the punchline and then she said, it just ruins it. It just doesn't go. So here's Moses. I can picture, you know, I can see what he's afraid of. I can't go. He tells the Lord, I can't. Please send somebody else. I'm going to make a fool out of myself going to Pharaoh trying to talk with these stuttering lips that I have. Mo the Lord's getting a little agitated but can really see, you know, that Moses is telling the truth there. Man, you really do have a speech problem. So I'll tell you what. I'll get Aaron. And, and Aaron will be your translator. <laughs> Not that Pharaoh speaks a different language, but who can understand you? So Aaron will be your, your, uh, your, your, your translator. So, now get a picture of this. We usually think of Pharaoh as this Charlton Heston, right? This Charlton Heston, big macho, big beard, you know, standing up on top of them, Moses, you know, in this deep voice and so secure and so confident and all that kind of stuff. But the way it really happened. And who's that? Yule Brenner, the bald guy who played the Pharaoh, you know. He died recently, didn't he? Too bad. Um, but <laughs> ah, that's what he gets for playing Pharaoh. But uh, the, the real case was Moses would go in there. He finally went. He finally went. Aaron's by his side, and he goes into the high court and gets a hearing with, with Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, let the people go. And Pharaoh would probably, what did you say? Cat got your tongue? And Aaron would say, well, what Moses was saying, what my brother Moses was saying was that you're supposed to let the people go. Oh, I'm supposed to let the people go. What do you know? And why should the people go? And Moses would say, because the burning bush said so. <laughs> oh, the burning bush. And so the, the, the Pharaoh's not too humored by this whole thing. Uh, maybe, you know, sees it a little bit funny, but he has no intentions of doing it. And he says to Moses, well, you know what? To show you how afraid I am of you and your God, ooh, burning bush stuff, I'm going to double the workload of, of the Israelites. I'm going to make them get their own straw when they build a brick, and I'm going to make them produce the same number of brick. And if they don't do it, I'm going to whip them. And he starts to do that. He begins to whip the children of Israel because they don't meet their quota, the same quota they've always had, but now they've got to do twice the work in getting their own straw to do it. So the children of Israel get really mad, and they go... You put a sword in his hand, and now he wants to slay us. Major success here. Write a script on this one. So Moses goes back, and you can kind of see the irritation, the agitation that, that Moses would have here. He says, Lord, Lord, why do you have it in for this people? Why are you bringing evil, pain on these people? Is this why you sent me? 
maybe you're really on Pharaoh's side here. You sent me in order to get Pharaoh to punish the people more. Is that what's going on here? Because ever since I've been preaching in your name, nothing but troubles come to the people of Israel. Pharaoh is, 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 is laboring on them more. And then he says, and you haven't rescued your people at all like you promised. In the, in the Hebrew, it's emphatic. At all. You haven't lifted a finger. You haven't done a stupid thing for your people. All of the promises about how the children of Israel are going to listen, how Pharaoh is going to listen, how you're going to rescue them, all of that stuff, zippo, failure, major catastrophe. And if you think I'm going back there, you got another thing coming. I stutter, Pharaoh's big, Pharaoh's mean, the people criticize. And I'm just going to stay up here, and I'm going to pull my feet right here on this mountain. I like it up here. I got sheep up here. I can live nice up here. I didn't have any problems before you started talking to me. This is where I want to stay. Well, the Lord starts working with Moses, and it goes on and on. Bottom line is this. If God had listened to Moses' four complaints the first time and 14 complaints the second, third, and fourth time, actually, it took 13 different things to get Pharaoh to change. 13 different things before finally Pharaoh let the people go. And even then he changes his mind and tries to get them again. But if the Lord had listened to Moses' fearful excuses... We never would be reading about Moses in, in the book of the Bible. We never hear about the guy. He'd be some long-gone shepherd on a hill that never amounted to much of anything. He never would have seen God the way he saw God. He never would have experienced the power of God. He never would have become the leader that God wanted him to be. I don't think he ever would have been freed from stuttering, and I think he was freed from stuttering like I was, because you read about him talking all the time throughout the book of Exodus, Le Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and it never mentions his stuttering again. The last time you hear about a stuttering is in chapter 6. He, he never would have experienced any of that had he, had he given into his fear, had the Lord let him give into his fear. God cared too much for Moses, and I believe God cares too much for us to let us give into our fears that we have about failing. Fears that it's not going to work out right. Fears that people are going to criticize us. Fear that we might embarrass ourselves. God cares too much to let us wallow in that and go into that, because that, friends, is a tombstone. It really is a tombstone. When we give in to a fear of failure, when we don't do what we could do, don't try what we could try because we're, a fear, we're afraid of falling, afraid of failing, afraid of rejection, afraid of embarrassment, we sell ourselves short. Some people just give up. They fail once or twice or three times and they give up. And they just find their little Mount Horeb. They say, I stutter, I'm afraid, Pharaoh's big, Pharaoh's mean, the people criticize, and I don't want any more of that. I'm going to plant myself right here in my nice, safe, secure job and not try to ever do anything better. I'm going to plant myself right here in my nice, safe, secure, little isolated world, and I'm not going to try to have any more relationships because it hurts too much to fail. We build up little walls, little security devices, and we never become the passionate, vibrant, spirit-filled people that God calls us to be. Guy I knew, 50 years old, Lived a life of just having odd jobs. I thought he was a talented guy. I thought he had a lot of capabilities, but his whole life has been kind of just squandered doing this, that, or the other thing, which might have been fine for somebody else, but he had a lot of potential that was being wasted there. He always lived his life depressed, down, beating himself up. You find out what went on there, and what you find out is that at the age of 18 or 19 or 20, he was going to seminary, and he, he took a little church. He took a chance. He took a risk. And the people criticized him, and some deacon said that he really didn't have the gift of teaching, and maybe he should think about going into a different occupation. And that was just kind of a flop, and he was so embarrassed and so humiliated that he decided, well, then forget it. I'm not going to be a minister. I'm not good enough, not smooth enough. 
I stutter, Pharaoh's big, Pharaoh's mean, the people criticize, I'm going to find a little horror, and I'm just going to kind of box myself in there. And that's what he's been doing. And yeah, he never had to fail again, but you know what, he, 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 didn't, he never tried again, he never succeeded at anything again. The one woman I knew, and you probably know people like this, who they get burned in a relationship, it fails, it flops, maybe it was a marriage, maybe it was something else, but it falls apart, so they make a covenant, that's it, no more, it hurts too much, I don't want any more relationships, I'm going to build up a nice wall, I'm going to be safe, secure, right here in my Mount Horeb. And they live their whole life in isolation, and yeah, you're secure, you're a nice island, you'll never be hurt again, but you're never going to live again. High price you pay for that. Student I knew, brilliant student, Tried to encourage her to apply to an Ivy League school, but she just couldn't do that because, you know, her parents went to an Ivy League school, and if she applied and didn't get in, it would be so humiliating. It would be such a disappointment, and it's better not to try and fail than, than, than and not to try than it is to try and fail. So she never applies, goes to some junior college. The list could go on and on and on. People who die because they're afraid of the pharaohs. They're afraid of failing. It's a tombstone in our life. How many people... How many people just live their life afraid of being different? I mean, there are people who've got tremendous creativity, tremendous vibrancy, a kind of a wild streak. Uh, you know, they can be a lot of fun. They can be exciting to be around. Life could be interesting for them. They've got a lot of good ideas. They've got a lot of good plans, a lot of things they could do. But they just buy into this kind of middle-of-the-road mediocrity, conformist to everyone else's expectations because they're afraid that if they go a little this way or a little that way, someone's going to think they're weird or someone's going to think they're fanatical or someone's going to think they're strange or what have you. So they just kind of get browbeaten into the just going along, plodding along in life. And they're bored with themselves. They're bored with their relationship. They're bored with their job. And they've got it on the inside to be kind of different and have some fun and do things spontaneous, but they never do that because, well, someone might criticize them. Fair failure, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tomb. We get boxed into that. Job opportunities, and one comes along. You could apply for it, but you know, gee, what if you didn't get it and your friend got it, and then you'd feel so lousy and it'd be so miserable, but even if you got it, you might fail at it, and now it'd really look bad if you got fired from it, and you know, this isn't such a bad job that you got right now, but you know that you have a lot more capability than that. Fear of failure. Fear is not a positive emotion. Nervousness is, you know, to be a little bit nervous, that's good. That's adrenaline kicking in. That's the, you're kind of getting pumped up for something. That's a good thing. But fear of failure is nothing but anticipating failure ahead of time. Fear, fear assures that you will fail because it rehearses it, anticipates it before you ever fail. So you fear rejection and you bring about, the Bible says in Job, that which I have feared has come upon me. It's, there's sort of a self-fulfilled prophecy mechanism that we get into. When we fear something, we bring it about. It's not a positive emotion. It, 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 it paralyzes us. It's a paralysis of the spirit, a kind of prison of the mind, a bondage of the soul, chains on, on our spontaneity. And it's nothing but a tombstone that keeps the spirit of God, the dove within that we talked about last week, keeps us from flying the way God wants us to fly. We live our little life on a, on a Mount Horeb, mumbling to ourselves, I stutter, I'm weak, I can't do this, I don't want to do that, and the pharaohs are big, the pharaohs are mean, the pharaohs are very nasty, and people criticize, but I'm here nice and safe on my little hill, and I'm going to stay here all my life. You never come down, you never get involved in ministry, you never... 
Some people are afraid to get recommitted to the Lord, really committed, get vibrant on the Lord, get a little fanatically crazy for the Lord. They're afraid of that because when they first got saved, they were a little wild and crazy, and people criticized them, and maybe they had a moral failing, and everyone saw it, and they said, what a hypocrite. So now they just kind of want to blend in with the, 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 the bricks and, and be part of the wall and, and never get too committed, never get too excited. It's safe in the middle, isn't it? It's safe in the middle, safe in the ordinary, safe in the conformity. That's, that's nice, safe, and good, safe on Mount Horeb. But see, what you've got to know is that the Spirit of God... God, God doesn't know the word mediocrity. The Spirit of God is a vibrant spirit. We're talking about the Spirit of God Almighty, a reservoir of creativity, a reservoir of power. And what we need to know this morning, more than anything else, is that God has not given to us a spirit of fear. The fear that you have in your life, the fear of failure, the fear of embarrassment, the fear of rejection, wherever else that comes from, whatever spirit that is, it is not the Spirit of God. Because the Bible tells us that God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but of power, dynamite, dunamis, power, and of love and a sound mind, togetherness, self-discipline, control, peace. That's what's of God. And it's time that we begin to stake our claim on that and begin to see that for what it's worth and begin to move in that reality. I've been just really ticked off at the devil all week, for the last two weeks. It's like I, I thought he did a number on me a couple weeks ago, and I had three weeks that were just kind of out of the pit, and now I'm ticked off. It's like, do you ever get like that? It's kind of a, a, a holy irritation, a, a holy orneriness, uh, a, a holy feistiness. You want to do, you wanna do holy, holy Spirit Kung Fu on the devil. You know, just, yeah, you know, turn into a spiritual Van Damme, or what, what's that guy's name? Uh, a, a righteous Chuck Norris, a... Uh, Christian Bruce Lee, you know, uh, oh, devil, uh, knock you up. <laughs> and knock you off your head. Oh, he's, he's ticked off. And for too long, you know, he takes this stuff, and he takes the criticisms of the Israelites, and he takes the size of the Pharaoh, and he takes the stammering lips, and he, and he keeps on reminding you of that. You stutter, you can't do it right, you're not any good, you'll fail, you're going to be embarrassed, people are going to laugh, you're going to be humiliation. Remember what happened before, did it? And he pauses it in, he grinds it in, he just fills your brain with it, so you walk around kind of downtrodden. And I think for too long, too, for too long, he's had his way with us. Do you agree? For too long, he's kept us in this tomb. For too long, he's had these chains on us. And there is in the Spirit of God, the inheritance of God, all that Christ died to give us. There is the riches of God's glory, the confidence of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God. And it's time that we stand in that inheritance, begin to write checks out against that inheritance. He's already purchased it for us. He's already given us his spirit. It's time we begin to look at the stammering lips and say, so what? And look at the pharaohs and say, so what? And listen to the criticizing Israelites and say, so what? Two things I want to say about this stone of fear that maybe we'll... we'll uh, Help us roll it away. Two things. The first thing is what I just said. So what? You know, in God's eyes, to God, failure is no big deal. Failure just isn't that big of a deal. We fear failure when failing, when not failing is too important to us. And that is the most likely thing to make us fail. I see heaven with students all the time. When grades are life, grades are where it's at. Grades are your identity. They study hard, they're, they're smart enough, but they get the test and they choke <gasps> because too much is at stake. 
We fear failure when failure is, is, is too important to us. What Moses had to see was this. It was when Moses got to the point where he could see that his stuttering lips just were, was not that much of an obstacle to God. And when he could see that Pharaoh's size and Pharaoh's might and Pharaoh's meanness just wasn't that intimidating to God. Yahweh just isn't that intimidated by Pharaoh's. And when, when he saw that the criticisms of the Israelites just wasn't that big of a problem to God. And when he saw that even though the first time didn't work out, even though it did fall flat, even though it did backfire, that God was saying, well, okay, let's go with this plan. When he could begin to see that God just isn't a God who quits, God isn't a God who is threatened by things, God isn't a God who is weak, God isn't a God who can't outrun your own ability to do that. When Moses saw that, that's when he began to be the man of God that God knew he could be. That's when he began to come down out of Mount Horeb. That's when God began to raise him up to be the leader of the Israelites that he'd always wanted him to be. It's when Moses began to identify with who he was because of who Yahweh was, instead of who he was because of his stammering lips and other weaknesses that he had, that's when things began to change. That's when his fear be began to be removed. And it's the same way with us. You know, it, when we focus on our stuttering lips, and that's a metaphor for whatever weakness you have in your life. When you focus on your weakness, when you focus on your failures, when you focus on the shortcomings that you have, and then you focus on all the obstacles, how tough it's going to be, all the naysayers, all the reasons why this should never happen, you focus on that, focus on your weakness, and then you focus on the criticisms of other people who are always happy to sit back and criticize you for trying, and then they'll criticize you for failing, and even if you succeed, they're going to criticize you for that. And then when you focus on that, then you're full of fear. You're going to be full of fear. But what you see from Moses is this, the one to focus on. The one to focus on is the Lord Jesus Christ because that's where identity is. The one who wants to fight our battles, the one who wants to, to empower us, the one who has given us his spirit within us is Jesus Christ. And when we get our minds off of, our eyes off of the stammering lips and the pharaohs and the criticizing people and get our minds on who we are in Jesus Christ, then the fear begins to dissipate. The fear begins to leave. Courage and boldness and confidence begin to be yours because you're not looking at yourself. You're seeing yourself as you are in Christ. Let me tell you about a major pharaoh that I've, I've, I've had to confront in my life. Still hangs around once in a while. I, I, last week, I was telling you, the, you know, as they let me out of my institution, I came here and I told you about my, my, uh, my brother, you know, and um, how tough it was growing up with this guy who was all-state uh, football, all-state baseball, all-conference, all-everything, Mr. Universe stuff, you know, and, and I was always living in a shadow, I told you that, I, I, I always was living in a shadow, and wherever I went, just because my last name was the same as his last name, people expected things of me. So, you know, it wasn't enough for me just to be okay at sports. I had to carry on the Boyd legend in sports. And I never could do that. And I was always a disappointment. And it used to drive me crazy. I hated that. Because no matter what I did, it was always kind of a letdown. I got to hate that. My last football game in my life. My last football game I ever played. And I wasn't bad at football. I just wasn't great at football. My last football game, ninth grade. Caught, caught, caught this pass. Man, Dodged over here, caught this pass. I was pretty proud of it. Ran, just ran, ran. By the five-yard line, somebody catches me. We were playing Stillwater, and they had this really fast safety, and he caught me from behind, and so I got tackled. But, but I, was, I, was, I was by the five-yard line, so I was pretty proud. The coach calls me over. I thought, oh, I'm going to get some strokes now. You know, <laughs> Boyd name going on. So I go over there, stand next to the coach. He doesn't even look at me. He's kind of looking out at the field, chewing his gum. He always talked like he had a hockey puck stuck in his throat, too. <laughs> So he says, uh, got caught from behind. Got caught from behind. 
I go, yeah, that safety was pretty fast. He doesn't even look at me. He keeps looking out there like this. And he just says, Chris never got caught from behind. Yeah, it just... I took a deep breath, and I got, the, I got picked up this football, and I handed it to him and suggested a place he could put it. <laughs> it was my last football game. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> end of career. <laughs> well, you get so sick of that. You know, you get sort of conditioned. If there are expectations, I hate expectations. I'm going to be a disappointment. And so I began, I told you a little about this, a bit about this last week, began to strategize ways so I would never disappoint people. You know how you do that? If you come out and you act like a jerk right off the bat, then whatever you do that's positive, people will be impressed. <laughs> it's, it's kind of sandbagging it or, or low, you know, your low ball, you know? And so you come out you know, and you say inappropriate things and act terrible and act uh, you know, outlandish, and then people say, okay, he's not his brother. You know, we lower expectations. And now if I do something good, I'll get a stroke for it. But I, I, I hated this idea of going in where there's expectations. I love going in where no one knows anything and I can surprise them. Oh, look at this. But when there's expectations, there's like a major stifling thing. And I still have to deal with that. You know, it, it's like if people expect something of me, there's something inside that just wants to say, blow it, screw it up, get rid of the expectation, you know, fumble the ball, botch it up. I had a lady last week, uh, first time here at church, and she says, oh, it's our first time here, but we've heard so much about you, we're looking forward to hearing you speak. And I just like, oh, <laughs> no. I just wanted so badly to say, well, you know, I didn't study much this week, and I didn't have time, and I, have, you know, and I stutter, and pharaohs are big, and I, I want to go back up to Horeb, you know. Maybe you want to come back next week. Paul will be preaching in a couple weeks. I just want to, you know, like lower the expectations, and then, you know. Still, and you know what? If God had let me stay in that place, if God had let me succumb to that fear, you know, I, I could have made a nice little horb of my life. I'd never disappoint people, never have to deal with that again. I could be away in some little saloon with my bars, knocking a couple down, never disappointing anybody, mumbling to myself how I stutter and how pharaohs are big and pharaohs are mean and so are football coaches and, 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 and uh, people criticize and Red Seas are too big to go through and it's all my dad's fault or it's all my brother's fault or it's all the coach's fault or it's all the teacher's fault but at least I have my little friends here in my little horeb and I'm never going to disappoint anybody again and I wouldn't be disappointing anyone again except for me on the inside. I would know that I was called to more than that. I would know that there's a part of me that wanted to try, that wanted to go out and dare something. But when you give in to the fear and plot your feet on the Mount Horeb, you never, you never get out and live, you never risk, you never have adventure, you never try. Freedom for me came when this happened. When I got to the point in my walk with God, and this is when the stuttering stuff began to really leave too. Kind of ironic. But when I began to see that, I began to hear the Lord and, and, and see the Lord and relate to the Lord in such a way that I could hear him and experience him say to me, Greg, look at you're my child. Greg, you're my son. Greg, you're my kid. I created you, and I saved you, and I redeemed you, and you are before me holy, and you are before me spotless, and you are before me righteous. And I dance over you, and I sing over you like I say in Zephaniah. I clap my hands for joy over you. And you know what, Greg? That's got nothing to do with what you do or don't do. That's got nothing to do with who you please or who hates you. It's got nothing to do with who you disappoint or who you surprise. It's got nothing to do with whether you can preach or can't preach. It's got nothing to do with what righteous works you do or what evil works you do. It's got everything to do with what I did for you on the cross of Jesus Christ. So, Greg, get that in your head. And when you see that, that's the only thing that really matters. Everything else is a foot. Note, so it really doesn't matter. 
Fall flat on your face if you need to. Screw it up if you want to. Disappoint the world. Your worth, your value, your esteem, your lovability, what makes you a worthwhile person has got nothing to do with it. And when you see that it's got nothing to do with it, then you can risk it. Then all of a sudden, it's not so scary. Then all of a sudden, you can try. The tremendous burden that lifts off your shoulder when you begin to see that failing just isn't that big of a deal. If your life is found in the relationship, you know what? You'll never risk that relationship. If, if, if it's so important that this person never reject you, if that's your life, then, then you just can't risk that. If, you're, if, if your life is found in success, if that's your identity, you can never risk failure. Go pack up and go to Horeb. Nice little mountain. Be safe there. But you can't risk it. When you've got idols in your life, and those idols in your life, that, that money stuff, here's the, here's the money. If, 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 you're, if, you're, if your life is in money, you just can't take risks with that. You can't have adventure with that. Because if you lose it, you'll be a dead person. Your identity is gone. Or your job or what have you. But if your life is in Christ and you know who you are, as Moses saw who he was because of who Yahweh was, when you know who you are, everything else is negotiable. If you got it, great. If you lose it, fine. Who you are, your value, your worth is a settled, done deal. Failing is just not that big of a deal to God. If he wants to use you, he can use you. Not only is it not a big deal, but the second point, and I close with this, the second point is that it's not only not a big deal, but it's inevitable and it's even necessary. It's inevitable and it's necessary. Inevitable, so expect it. Necessary, so welcome it. There's just no way, you know, somehow we get the message that failing is bad. Ooh, failure, shame, nasty, ugh. If kids believe that, no one would ever learn how to walk. Think about it. You've got to fall 20,000 times before you ever start to walk. No one would ever learn how to talk because you've got to screw up sentences at least for eight years before you ever start to get sentences right. And then even when you're 36, half the time they don't come out right. You never learn how to play the piano. You never learn how to ride a bike. You never learn how to do diddly squat because the only way you learn how to succeed at stuff is by failing. It's kind of a truism. And yet somehow when we get to be adults, we forget that. And we think that's supposed to come easy, and if you fail, it's like a terrible thing. Moses apparently thought that, that this was supposed to be an easy thing. A lot of people, they give up. They fail one time or two times or three times, and they just kind of give up and live their life on Horeb. Moses apparently thought that it was supposed to come, it was supposed to come easy. He thought he was supposed to go over to the Pharaoh, and he was supposed to say, let me people go. And Pharaoh was supposed to say, ah, yeah, oh, you're a nice guy. Okay, listen, take him, take him, take him. 400 years is kind of too long, isn't it? I'm sorry for the inconvenience. Please do take them. Take whatever supplies you need and have a happy journey on your way. Because Yahweh said so, and I listened to Yahweh. But Pharaohs don't do that, do they? Pharaohs are pharaohs because they're big and they're powerful and they're nasty and they're mean and they're selfish and they get in the way of what God wants and they get in the way of what you want. That's why they're pharaohs. That's what makes them a pharaoh. That's probably what the word pharaoh means. I don't know, but I suppose it does. <laughs> pharaohs are, are supposed to be obstinate. And there's nothing that's worth getting in life, nothing that's worth working for in life where there's not going to be some kind of pharaoh in your way and pharaohs don't roll over and play dead. You gotta fight them, you gotta go at this angle, you gotta go at this angle, you gotta be creative, you gotta strategize, you gotta send plagues, ten different plagues. You gotta go back at them again and again and again and again. And you gotta rely on the power of God the whole time you're doing it. And then finally, maybe the Pharaoh falls apart. But it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of effort. Failure is a part of the process. And if Moses hadn't failed all these times, he never would have developed into the leader that God wanted him to be, never would have learned how to trust God, never would appreciate what God had done. Failure is a part of the process. I had a student two weeks ago. 
stopped by my office, and, and, and she was talking about Letters from a Skeptic, this book, you know, that I wrote. And she was kind of, I may feel uncomfortable, kind of doing one of these things, you know, like, oh, your book, you know, this so you know, lucky you. And, and I asked quite some questions to figure out what, where she's coming from. Well, it turns out, she said, here she's 20 years old, talking about her life in the past tense. It's a very scary thing when someone does that. She goes, I, I was an aspiring writer. Well, back when you were two or what, you know? <laughs> and she said, but, you know, I sent, uh, I sent my best story. I wrote a short story. I sent it off to this magazine to get published. And uh, a professor thought it, that they'd publish it, but they sent it back, and it was all full of criticisms. And um, they said they wouldn't take it. And, and uh, I guess that kind of just says a lot about me, doesn't it? You know, at worst, it says something about her writing. It doesn't say anything about her. That's mistake number one. Mistake number two was thinking that that somehow was a terrible thing. I, I took her in my office and I brought, brought out a file and I showed her about 17 pieces of paper and I said, you know what these are? These are rejection notices. This book that you, you know, are so happy that I got published. I got 17 rejection notices from different publishers before anyone ever thought about accepting that. Bad idea, stupid concept, never will sell, no market, poorly written, too stiff, too loose, too charismatic, too non-charismatic, you name it, 17 rejection notices. And the one before that had 15 rejection notices. And the one I'm trying to get published now is already up to 22. I'm going in the wrong direction fast. <laughs> but it's like, what do you expect? That's, what's, that's the norm. That's how it goes. I think a 1 to 22 ratio is a pretty good ratio. Someone said, and it's kind of a pop psychology thing, but it's true, that if you want to, if you want to double your success rate, you've got to quadruple your failure rate. That's the only way to have it. That's what Moses had to learn. For Christians, look, it's like this. God has put into us a spirit, his own spirit, and he is a passionate God, a vibrant God, a God who just does not deal with mediocrity, a God who likes to go to the extreme, a God who's alive. And to be alive means you're, you're still trying. It means that you still have passion. You're still knocking on doors. You fall again and again and again, but knowing that it's not your identity, you get up again and again and again, and you keep going for it. And the only real failure, the only real failure is the one who says, I quit, I can't do it, I'm going back to Horeb, I stutter, pharaohs are too big, they're too mean, they're too nasty, and people criticize. Well, pharaohs are always going to be big, mean, and nasty, and people are always going to criticize. I can't believe it. There's not a word I can say where you don't get criticism. It just goes with the territory, and Nancy Kerrigan needs to learn that real quick because she's suffering because... It's like, what do you expect? You're going to get criticized when you're on the top. That's what people do. The world's full of mediocre people who just like to sit back and they're afraid of extremes. Backseat drivers who are afraid to drive themselves, but they get life by criticizing the way you drive. And so they're always going to get criticism. The world's full of it. Moses had to deal with it his whole life. But you are not a failure. Whether, you're, whether you, you do a great deed or a little deed, whether you're a gas station attendant or the president of the United States, whether your ministry is preaching or, or administration or, or serving coffee up there, the question is this, are you living? Are you doing what you can do? Are you being all you could be, husband, wife, job, whatever? Or are you packed up in a little corner of horror afraid of the world? Let God, through the power of his spirit, roll away that stone. Begin to move out. Begin to risk a little bit. Begin to follow the promptings of the spirit in your life. Begin to live. The one who stops trying is the one who's really stopped living. And God calls us to life. This morning, maybe you got a bigger rock on your shoulder. There's a pharaoh staring you in the eyes. I bet there are some people here like that. And, and, and maybe you want to pray with some people up here to help break that fear. Pharaoh's not the problem. Your fear of pharaoh is the problem. Maybe you need help with that. 
come forward at the end of the service. The service really doesn't end when we dismiss, by the way. You know, we, we, it can go on as long as you want. There's people who will pray up here. If you're here this morning and you have never gotten your identity in Christ, you have never done what the Bible says you need to do, and that is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, I encourage you to come forward this morning and make March 20th a birthday of yours and accept him into your life and let him begin to work that resurrection miracle power in your life and bring you out of the tomb. Let's stand and close in prayer. Lord, I pray, you know, you, Lord, we're, we're, we who are believers are not citizens of this world and we don't belong to Egypt and we don't belong to, uh, as slaves of Pharaoh. But Lord, there are Egypts here this morning and there are Pharaohs that reign here and they ought not to reign. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, begin to tear down these Pharaohs by installing in us a courage and a boldness and a might to confront them and Lord, I pray, God, that when we fall flat on our face, and there are some here this morning that right now are flat on their face, and they want to quit, and they want to pack up and go to Horeb, where they don't have to worry about their stammering lips. I pray, God, that you would pick them up and show them that your, their stuttering lips are, are no problem to you, and the Pharaoh's no problem to you, and get them back in the ballgame. Be with us, Lord, as we go forth from this place in the spirit of your power, the spirit of your might, the spirit of your confidence. Christ name we pray. Amen.